0: This weekend, as we get ready to celebrate Father's Day together, we come to the fifth commandment in our series, Relationships Not Rules. You see, it's the fifth commandment, but it is the first commandment revolving around our relationship with one another. And you remember the first four commandments revolve around our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And how we respond to our Heavenly Father often dictates how we respond to one another. And if we don't respect our Heavenly Father, then we will fail to respect one another. It's not a surprise that the first commandment revolves around our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And the first commandment dealing with our relationship with one another starts with our earthly father and mother. Why is that? Have you ever stopped to consider why was the first commandment revolving around our relationships dealing with honoring our parents? Because our parents are our first real relationship. And how things go so often in that parent-child relationship sets kids up for the rest of their life and other relationships that they have. And what we see here is this is not just a single command. There are two parts to it. And a lot like last week when we looked at honoring the Sabbath and keeping it holy, we saw there were two parts, both a worship part and a work part. And now as we come to honoring authority, we see that there's two parts to this. One is for kids to honor their parents. The second part is for parents to be honorable. If you and I fail when it comes to honoring the authority of earthly parents, we will most likely fail to be honorable earthly parents. It matters. And yet this is such an incredible challenge in the culture in which we live. You see, our culture goes absolutely contrary to the word of God here because we have cultivated today in this country a culture of rudeness, not respect. And you see it all the time as people interact with others. And those of you that are in that business of having to deal customer service, you see that rudeness and that lack of respect. And so I want to take a moment and just pray, not only for our kids, but also for our parents. And parents, I want you to understand how challenging it is for our kids to grow up. They're hearing this message from the world, disrespect authority. And it goes contrary to the message of the world. And so I want to pray for you. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, we want to lift up our kids. And I thank you for blessing us with a church full of kids. And I pray for those times that... There are some of us in the congregation that, that sometimes during the sermon a kid cries out, and, and, and there's some of us, we have this, this negative attitude. We kind of look over and, What's your problem? God, what would it be like if we had a church where there was no crying because there were no kids? And so, thank you for kids in our congregation. And God, we just pray that you would place in their hearts a desire to not just honor us as parents, but to, to honor you as their heavenly father. And I pray for us as parents, and I pray especially today for fathers. We are, we are so laughed at in this culture. And there are so many men in here, they feel like failures as fathers. God, would you remind them that they are not a failure, that they are not a mistake. They are your messenger to the kids of this culture. And, and God, I pray today for fathers that are in here with father wounds, that today you would heal, that they would not be hung up on those hurts and, and hinder their ability to, to love their own kids. Father, we just pray that as we listen to your word today, that we would remember this is not a chiding, this is a challenge to encourage our hearts in the greatest privilege that you've given us as parents to raise our kids. For we pray these things in your name amen. I'd like you to take your Bibles and I ask you to turn to two places, Old Testament and New. In the Old Testament, I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. And then I want you to turn over to Ephesians chapter six, verses one through four. So Exodus 20, verse 12, and then we're going to turn to Ephesians chapter six, verses one through four. Exodus twenty, twelve: 12, honor your father and mother. Then you will live a long, full life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them. Rather, bring them up with a discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. You see, the reason that I wanted you to hear that same message from the Old Testament and the New is that sometimes we get this idea that this is an Old Testament command and we fail to recognize it is a New Testament call in our lives. And what we see here is is two sides to the same coin. And on one side is the call for children to honor their parents. And on the other side is the call for parents to be honorable in the position and authority that God has given them. But as we think first about children honoring and obeying their parents... You and I need to recognize that there's two parts to that. The first is respecting authority. The second is responding to authority. And most of the time, to the degree that we respect authority, will determine to the degree that we respond to authority right or wrongly. You see, the first authority figure in our life is our parents, and their first act of authority from God is to name us. But what we learn very quickly is it takes more than just a name to navigate this thing called life. You see, it takes more than just a parent saying, you're Bob, now go do life. You see, we need more than just a name We need parents that teach and train you and I how to respect authority. And what we discover is that there are three stages that every single human being needs to go through in order to become a healthy, functioning adult. And the first stage is this early childhood stage. This is where we talk about enforced obedience, This is where, as parents, we lovingly set boundaries for our kids. And the goal of those boundaries is to bless our kids. Now, parents, you need to understand that most of the time, your kids are not going to see those boundaries as a blessing. They're going to see them as a burden. If you think back into your life when you were a kid, you tended to bump up against the boundaries. Why? Because you saw them as burdensome, not as a blessing. But kids, I want you to listen to this. Most of the time, the things that you see that your parents, from your perspective, are just being a pain, here's the reality. They're trying to protect you from pain. You see, your parents aren't trying to be a pain in your life. They're trying to prevent pain in your life. And parents, you and I need to understand that we're called to parent by grace. God doesn't just punish us for wrong. God rewards us for what is right. And so many of us forget that balance as we're raising our kids. You and I, as we think about parenting, need to be very careful that we don't fall victim to what I call the punishing parent mentality, where we just look for all the things that our kids do wrong. Most of us today are parenting by fear, not by faith. What's the difference? And for some of you, you're thinking, well, kids need a a little bit of a healthy dose of fear in their lives. After all, the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But you see, that's a different kind of fear that the Bible talks about there. That is a reverence, and reverence revolves around a relationship. Let me tell you the difference between fear-based parenting and faith-based parenting. Fear-based parenting makes it all about the rules. Faith-based parenting makes it about a relationship. Why does it matter? Because we're talking about respect. And we're not just called to teach our kids to respect policies. We're respecting people. And if you and I have a fear-based parenting that revolves around the rules, our kids will learn to respect policies but not respect people. It will revolve around the rules and not a relationship. You notice here that Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. What does that revolve around? It revolves around a relationship, right? Not religion. A relationship with our parents, a relationship with our heavenly father. Now, I'm going to tell you this stage is probably the greatest challenge for parents because it is an exhausting stage. Why? Little kids take a long time to learn. And we got to be repetitive, right? And if we're going to be successful, there are two things that we need to implement at this stage. One is caring and the other is consistency. And if we will consistently care for our kids, we will navigate them through this stage of enforced obedience to the next stage. But what I see so often in parents, especially in our culture today, is we're parenting out of our weariness, not out of the word of God. And so, what happens is we lose our compassion for our kids. We have a whole generation and a whole culture today that is communicating to us that kids are a pain. I'm going to tell you, God's Word says they are a privilege, they are a blessing. And yet, most of us today, we're parenting out of, oh, you're a pain. That's not a caring heart, that's a calloused heart, that's an uncaring heart. The second thing I see a lot of is we're not consistent. You see, one day we, we, we're we really consistent in enforcing obedience and then we get tired and what do we do the next? Just do whatever you want. And our kids are doing this. And what happens is they never, because there's a lack of caring or consistency or both, they never move to the next stage. The next stage is, is the youth stage. And this is where we see willful obedience. This is where we grow up and we graduate out of an enforced obedience into a willful obedience. The problem with most of us as parents is we want our kids to start with willful obedience without ever having taken them through enforced obedience. Now, it would be a wonderful thought if when our kids were two, they came to us and said, mom, dad, whatever you want, that's what I want to do. But I'm going to tell you, if you think that's just going to happen, that magically willful obedience will just show up one day, you're going to live not only in Disneyland, but in absolute disappointment. Now, we've got an amazing problem in our culture today. As I mentioned, we've cultivated a culture of rudeness, not respect. But you see, it's shown up in some of the highest forms of authority in our life. And over the last couple of years, we've, we've seen a media that have presented to us a problem with the police, those that are called to serve and protect, those that are given the privilege of authority. Why do we see such a problem there between police and people? I think one of the reasons is that we have thrown willful obedience right out the window. Now, the media want you to believe that the primary problem is with the police and their misuse of authority. And I'm going to tell you there are some bad policemen and police women, But I'm also going to tell you there's some bad preachers. I'm going to tell you there's some bad doctors. There, there's some bad lawyers. There's some bad teachers. I've had some. But what I want you to understand is the message that the media is sending to us today is not an accurate message because the greater problem is not with the police, it's with people and our lack of respect for authority today. Now, let me ask you this question. When you get ready to go to work and you hug your wife and kiss your kids goodbye, do you ever think to yourself in your career and what you're called to do, do you ever think to yourself, I might not come home today? This might be the last time that that I hug my wife or kiss my kids. Now, I hear a lot of pastors that that whine and complain about how hard it is to be a pastor. But I'm going to tell you, pastors, we don't wear bulletproof vests to work. Maybe we should. I don't know. But we don't. But here's the thing. Men and women that are called to serve and protect and are given this immense responsibility to uphold respect, how do we treat them? How do you respond when you get pulled over? You see, most of us, we want to respond to authority with arguing. And meanwhile, we got three little kids sitting in the back seat watching, right? More things are caught than taught. And there are many of us as adults, as we go about life, we have bought into this rudeness instead of respect And so we argue with all of the authority that's put in our life, and then we have kids that want to argue with us as an authority, as parents, and we're scratching our heads going, I don't know why they got to argue with authority. I don't know where this disrespect comes from. Maybe it's caught. Maybe it's taught. I'll never forget going to the Watiki Water Park for a little vacation up in Rapid City. And we were heading up there as a family and pre-warned, The speed limit goes from 65 to 55 like that, okay? I'm busy looking for my exit and legitimately was not paying attention to the speed limit sign. And so now I am traveling 65 in a 55 and here is a police officer sitting in the other lane. He clocks me, he flips his lights on, he turns around to pull me over. Why? Because he's an absolute jerk, that's why. No, he's doing his job, right? He's there to serve and protect, And I'm speeding. I am being unsafe on the highway. And so he's going to pull me over and find out what's going on. Now, I want to set the scene. Mom and dad are in the front seat, three little kids in the back with grandpa. My dad was with us. (laughs) And I hear this voice, and it's not my kids, and it's not my wife. This should be fun. (laughs) Let me tell you, parents, there's this magical state after parenthood called being a grandparent where you get to observe how well your kids are going to parent. But it was a great reminder to me because in that moment, I was reminded, I have a whole back seat full of little people ready to learn how do you handle respect and authority. Some of you are going, well, that's great, but how'd it turn out? So as the officer's walking up the side of the car, I look in my side mirror, and I happened to realize, it's a good friend of mine, a former pastor, we used to do ministry together. He stepped out of the ministry and, and went into the police force. And so I'm going to tell you, grace is real. Okay, God really does show up in our lives. And my dad's like, seriously, of all the people that could have pulled you over, someone you knew. You and I need to understand in this stage... When we're dealing with our kids, we need to be grace-based. God doesn't just punish us, as I mentioned, he rewards. And so here's my challenge to us as parents. Catch your kids doing things right, not just wrong. We, We have become people who are so in tune to see the problems today that we miss the praise. Let me give you an example of that. I come home. It's been a really long week. My wife knows that. My kids know that. My kids were just little at the time. My son had gone out and mowed the lawn, the whole thing. It's a huge lawn. Why? So that when dad got home, he wouldn't have to do that. Now, I got to share something as a parent. He had done an amazing job, but there was one little spot. I don't know, you're, you're kids. You can just overlook stuff, right? And he had missed this one little strip. Those of you that are lawn uh, like everything has to be perfect or with me, right? You're like, oh, oh, can I go mow it for you? It's, it's taken care of, relax. But he missed that one little tiny spot. What would happen as a parent if I had focused on that one little problem instead of the praise? How much do we miss today? We, we are so in tune to catching our kids doing things wrong. But do you notice that we have a heavenly father who's so looking for what we do Right. And how does he handle that? He doesn't just catch us doing things right. He rewards us. I remember going to a parent-teacher conference, and the teacher shared with us about one of our kids and about how there was this kid being picked on at school. And and this kid of ours stood up for that kid, was an advocate against bullying and against this, this kid being put down. And I got to tell you, that is an absolute parent win, not because of how it reflects on me as a parent, because of how it reflects on God, their heavenly father. And so much of parenting, we make it about how it reflects on us instead of how does this reflect on God? Now, when you're in that moment where your kids are reflecting Jesus to the point where they're doing what Jesus would do, if Jesus had shown up, that's exactly what he would do. When you catch your kids doing wrong, here's what you do. You pull over the bus and you throw a party. But see, most of us, we just keep trucking right along, don't we? And so here's what I did. Wrote a little note, got a gift certificate and gave it to my kid. And I said to them, good job thanks for being Jesus at school today. God's proud of you and so am I. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that that gift card and I want you to invite whoever you want, your friends, and I want you to go out. Have some ice cream. You see, I rewarded them with more responsibility. That's what God does with us. To those who have been faithful with a little, I will give you more. I gave my kid the greatest treasure that I could in that moment, and that was my trust. Some of us have never given our kids the treasure of our trust. Some of us today are so into fear-based parenting that we are parenting based on our fears, and we are projecting failure onto our kids. Have you ever looked at your kids and said, I believe in you? And parents, let me ask you, if we don't believe in them, who will? And so many of us were like, well, they're just not being trustworthy. They don't have Okay, they've got most of the lawn mowed. There's one little strip. Celebrate your kids. Look for the things that you can praise instead of just the problems. And I'm not asking you to overlook the problems, but I'm saying don't make mountains out of molehills. Some of us, what we're doing today in our fear is projecting failure onto our kids. Let me explain what I mean by that. Imagine that your son comes and says, I want to borrow the car. You, you don't think they're very responsible. Okay? You have these fears in your life about their lack of responsibility. And so you say to them, Okay, but you gotta have it back by 10 tonight. But you don't trust that they'll really bring it back by 10. And so you go over this and over this and over this with the now now. What time are they gotta be at ten? Yep, not ten o'clock, right? Not now not ten oh one. But 10 o'clock, and what's your kid hearing? I don't trust you. I don't trust you. I don't trust you. I don't believe in you. All of your fears are projected into their failure. So they take the car, and away they go. You call all of your great Christian friends, and you ask them to pray. And you say, hey, little Jimmy took the car, and you know how he's not been responsible lately, and we've had these problems, and I'm worried, and I'm scared, and I've got all these fears. and Anyway, what I want you to pray for is that they would be Responsible. Now, what you're saying you want is them to be responsible. Little Jimmy brings the car back that night, hands you the keys, you look at the clock, it's 9.59. Have they been responsible? Pull over the bus, let's throw a party. That's not what we do as parents. We're party poopers as parents. And here's what we do. (sighs) Cut that awful close, almost messed up again. So we say, right? Now, why do we do that? Because here's the sad, twisted part of fear-based parenting. We need our kids to fail today in order to justify our feelings. And many of us as parents have gotten to a place where we have these fears. And here's the problem. We need our kids to actually fail in order for our fears to be real today. We've become parents that care more about our feelings than our kids. You and I have got to give grace. Why? Grace gives room to grow. I'm not talking about overlooking major issues in your kid's life. I'm not talking about absentee parenting. I'm talking about real grace that gives people room to grow. Did Peter have grace that gave him room to grow? I mean, Peter denied Jesus three times, right? Did Paul have grace in order to grow? Absolutely. Paul went from a guy that persecuted Christians to a guy that preached Christ. That's the grace of God. It changes our lives. Let me ask you, as a parent, are you perfect? Now, you don't admit this in front of your kids, okay? No, I'm kidding. You admit that in front of your kids. But here's the thing. We're not perfect as parents, are we? Do you need God's grace as a parent in order to grow? Absolutely. What happens when we don't give our kids any grace? How would you fail as a parent if God said you don't have any grace for mistakes as a parent? Done right then. Why bother? I might as well throw in the towel. That's how some of your kids feel today. You see... Some of us are not moving our kids out of enforced behavior into willful obedience. And we're limiting our kids today. Some of you, your kids are 16, you're still treating them like they're six. It's enforced obedience, not willful obedience. And what happens? They're 18, they go off to college, they absolutely fall apart and fail. Why? No one there to enforce obedience. Do you see why we need to move our kids from enforced obedience to willful obedience? Because at some point, you're not going to be there to enforce it. You see, it's here that we move, number three, to the adult stage, and that is mutual obedience. But you can't get to mutual obedience unless you successfully navigate enforced obedience and willful obedience. You and I as parents recognize that there are these twin truths in our life of mutual obedience where there's people that we have to be obedient to, right? But there's also people that end up having to be obedient to us. And we recognize that one of those authorities in our life is our Heavenly Father, the Almighty. And you and I need to recognize that as we teach our kids about the importance of authority and obedience, it will bleed over into their relationship with God. Do you want your kids to spend their whole lives fighting God or walking by faith with God? Let me ask you this question. As a parent, are you being faithful to God or are you fighting God? What are you modeling for your kids, obedience or objection? Because many of us, we're expecting our kids to be obedient to us as earthly fathers and mothers but we're not willing to be obedient to our heavenly father and we're not really modeling obedience in our life you see it's here that you and i come to this point of responding to authority and as i mentioned to the degree that we respect authority will be to the degree that we respond rightly or wrongly to authority i want you to take your bibles and tune with me to luke chapter 2 verse 41 and it's here in luke 2 41 that we see Jesus successfully navigating through these different stages of obedience. Just to give you a little background information, Jesus, Scripture tells us here, is 12 years old. This is bar mitzvah. This is where in Jewish culture, a boy becomes a man. And so if, if Jesus is moving from being a boy to becoming a man, we should not see just this enforced behavior. There should be a willful obedience in his life. Luke two forty one through 52. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. And after the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was with or among, excuse me, the other travelers. Now, I want to stop there for a moment. So many preachers I've heard slam Mary and Joseph here because they're like, what do you mean you just assumed he was with other travelers? I mean, he's, he's just 12 years old. He's a little boy. No, he's not in Jewish culture. He's becoming a man. Do you see here that they're giving Jesus room to grow? Do you see here that we can't just always keep our kids like their little five year olds stuck right here? That you got to allow your kids some responsibility in their life. But it says this but when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among the relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Can you imagine that prayer? God, it's Joseph. I lost Jesus, your son. Some of you feel like failures as parents, right? Bring yourself back to this moment. You and I need to recognize that that there's gonna be times where we fail, okay? But there's forgiveness. We have a father that cares. And here's the thing, God already knew all of this. God knows your failures as parents and he loves you anyway. It says, three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And his parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Notice how as parents, we always make it about ourselves, right? Your father and I have been frantically searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search for me, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stole all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and all the people. Do you see the health of growth there? But what I want you to understand is that Jesus was not being disrespectful in verse 49. He was just surprised that his parents didn't look at the temple first. His parents had taught him to love God. That's our first call as parents. And what amazes me is why did they spend three days looking everywhere but the place they trained him to be? And I often ask the question so, where were those places that they went? Probably the fear based places, not faith based parenting. You see, it's here that we discover that Jesus was willfully obedient to his heavenly Father, he wanted to be at the temple. Now, I want you to realize that for 12 years, they had taken him. And I'm sure the early years, it is like a lot of kids, you know, where we're like, oh, I don't know if I want to go, I don't know if I want to go. And it, and it feels like enforced obedience. But you see, there's a willful obedience. There's a love for Jesus. And there's a love that you and I need to have for Jesus. You see, there's a philosophy that has permeated church culture today that I think is deadly and destructive, and here's what it is. We are so afraid of taking our kids and involving them in spiritual things, whether it's church, whether it's youth group, whatever it is, because we don't want them to grow up and resent it and run from it. And so this is our philosophy. This is our answer to our fears that our kids will resent church and resent Christ and run from it. We'll just let them choose. And so we say to our kids, you get to make the choice as to whether you want to continue your spiritual education. Well, let me ask you this question. If that's such a good philosophy, then why don't we apply it to our secular education? Because we intuitively know as parents, if we were to say to our 10-year-old, hey, you know, you get to choose whether you want to go to school now or not. What do you think would happen to most kids? They drop out, and and it would affect the rest of their life. Now, let me ask you this question. Why are we applying that philosophy and that principle to their spiritual education, but not their secular education? And let me ask you this question. Which one is more important? Now, I think every one of us that's been a Christian for a while, we know here that our spiritual education is more important than our secular, but I don't know that we know it here. Because some of you are wrestling with that right now. Well, but eh, here's the excuses and here's the... Can I make this statement? At some point, we all retire from secular education. But we never retire from spiritual education. We never retire from learning about the Lord. Some of us as parents today, we make a bigger deal about grades with our kids than we do about God. And we need to to let that really, truly sink in because this life is important, but it is temporary. There is an eternal life. And we've got to to focus on eternity, not just on the earthly things. I want you to see here also that Jesus was willfully obedient to his parents. He went back with them, right? And he willfully submitted to their wants. parents... And kids, I want you to understand, this works really well when we've moved our kids from enforced obedience to willful obedience because now it's a want to, not a have to. And that's what every one of us as parents want. We want because it's built on love and it's built on relationship and it's no longer built on rules. But do you notice that it's harder for Mary and Joseph than Jesus navigating these stages? So often that is true for us. This is harder for us as parents than it is for our kids. And one of the reasons that we don't move our kids through these stages and we keep them stuck in enforced obedience is because we want our kids to be dependent. And we like the feeling of kind of being in charge and our kids need us and and we have a usefulness and all of those kinds of things that happen. My son just graduated from college debt-free. We told him he needed to work and get scholarships and different things, and he's done the things we've asked him to do. He just got his first job in his career in his field. He just moved into his first apartment on his own. He's been living with a couple of guys in an apartment, but now he's got his very first apartment. This fall, he's getting ready to get married. You see, he's no longer a boy. He's a man. But I'm going to tell you, there's days as a parent I miss that little boy. I miss the simplicity, and some of you as parents with little kids are like, it ain't simple. <laughs> let me tell you, as someone that's old, it is a lot simpler. And there's days where we miss those simple times, right, parents, that, that have the empty nest or got teenagers? And here's the thing, I miss those days where he'd just crawl up in my lap and we just read a book and laugh. I miss those days where we just wrestle on the ground and I'd let him win. Yeah, I let you win. Up until you're at least (laughs) ten. But what would happen if, because I made it about what I wanted, I never let him become a man? What if he was just a big boy? You see, that's the problem in our culture today. That's the problem with our country today. And that's the problem in the church today. Is we got a lot of big boys and not a lot of men. And Mamas, I don't want to pick on you, but I am going to ask you cut the apron strings. I know you want to hold on to him. He's always going to be your little boy. But here's the thing. You've got to let him become a man. And it is so easy for us to forget the truth that our kids are not ours. They're God's. And he gifts them to us and he gives them to us and they're 100% dependent on us. And our job is to help them become 100% dependent on him. Another reason sometimes we don't navigate our kids through these stages of helping them to become mature adults is because we just get so busy with life that we forget our greatest calling, which is our kids. Carol Kent, author and speaker, talks about a time when she was on a fast track to becoming an absentee parent. And she says that morning she got up, she just put her sweats on and she didn't fix her hair. She hadn't put on any makeup. Normally she would go to a speaking engagement at a church and she'd wear a suit and high heels and her makeup be done, her hair fixed. And she was having breakfast with her little boy. And he batted his little baby blue eyes and he looked at her and he said this, Mommy, you look beautiful today. And every mom in here went, oh, oh, right? And after she got over that, that, that heart tug, she thought to herself, Why would he say that? I, I, I don't feel pretty. I don't look pretty. I'm not wearing my suit. My makeup's not done. My hair's not done. So she asked him and he said, Mommy, here's the thing. When you're all dressed up, I know that you're someone else's. But when you look the way that you do, I know you're mine. And I want to encourage you, parents, don't miss your greatest privilege, which is your kids. And sometimes we can make everything else more important. Let me encourage you, get off Facebook and do family. There are times where we need to FaceTime, but here's the thing. What we're missing in our culture today is FaceTime with our real families. Some of you are on Facebook with your family, and you're completely ignoring these little kids that want you and want your attention because you're busy scrolling through everyone else's life instead of doing life. And I'm going to tell you, most of us that are scrolling through life instead of doing life find ourselves disillusioned and disappointed. You know why? Everyone posts their best stuff. Oh, they're on vacation. Oh, look how happy they are. I can't believe she's that skinny up. And we're doing this, right? Can I tell you, 90% of that is a farce. And for some of you, you look at that perfect picture of that family. Do you know that five minutes before they had a great big fight and then they all said smile? And they caught a moment, but it's not real. I want to encourage you, put your phone down and, and give your heart and your time to your kids. And for some of you, you may have to go turn it off and go put it in another room. But here's the thing, it's time for us to actually FaceTime our real families. Now, the other side of this coin is that we are to be honorable as parents. And there's two sides to this being honorable. One is being responsible with authority. The other is reflecting authority. Notice here that Paul says to you and I, especially to dads, do not exasperate your children. Don't be unfair with your kids to where it's unrealistic. It's unattainable. You see this is where you and I are called to responsible be responsible with our authority do you realize the incredible privilege that you have as a parent, the authority that the Almighty has given you, and you are responsible for that? And many times our lack of responsibility as parents with authority is what ruins our kids, and we exasperate them. We set up these unrealistic expectations in their life, and we disappoint them, and we create disillusion, and our lack of responsible authority is what brings out rebellion. Most of you know this, when people are unrealistic with you, when they put pressures on you and they try to get you to measure up to things and there is a misuse of that authority, just holding it over you, what happens? It brings out rebellion. Why? Because you don't want to be under that. And then we turn around and we get on our kid's case because we're like, I know I'm right, they're rebellious. But we are the ones that are ruining our kids and bringing out that rebellion in our lack of responsibility with authority. Many of us, instead of being responsible with authority today, we are being reactionary. We're making it about our emotions. We're parenting based on our wants and our whims instead of the word of God. And here's what's happening for most of us today. We're parenting according to our feelings, not according to faith. And because we're stressed out and we're giving everything to the world and we come home and our kids are tugging at us and we're like, What? What in the world do you want? wouldn't speak that way to a coworker. You're not going to speak to someone on the phone, customer service that way. Why are you treating your family that way? Because you're not being responsible with this authority that God's given you. And as a result, you're running over your kids instead of raising your kids. 10th and 11th graders were asked this question. When the word dad is spoken, what's the first word that comes to mind? And here were words that were said, jerk, loser, abandonment lonely, pain. And then some of the kids said this, security, protection, love, adopted, cherished, wanted. Dad is an immensely powerful word. And fathers, we need to ask ourselves this question today. What do we want the word dad to mean to our kids? Whatever that is that you want the word dad to mean to your kids, then live that out so that they can truthfully call you that. You see, it's here that we recognize that responsible authority reflects authority. That we are not just to preach principles to our kids, but we are to practice those principles. We are to model the message for our kids today. And many of us have fallen into this this syndrome of just mouthing a message, but never actually modeling that message. Why does that matter? Well, I've been doing an interesting little study for myself on marriage little over 10 years ago, I asked the elders at Mitchell Berean if, if we would be able to go ahead and start a premarital counseling program where we would take couples through 10 weeks of premarital counseling. We'd have mentor couples that then would spend the first year invested in their marriage with them. So that they had a mentor couple to walk with them if they needed that. And the reason why is... The divorce rate in the church, not necessarily our church, but in the church, Christian community was 50%. Think about that. Every two couples that came said, we want to get married. One would fail. One would succeed. You think Christ thinks that's acceptable? And it wasn't working just preaching it. We had to start practicing it. And so we set this mentoring program up. And what we discovered, the divorce rate went from 50% down to 15. In other words, the success rate went from 50% to 85. And then I started asking our senior saints who had been married for 40, 50, 60 years, this question. How many times did you meet with the pastor prior to getting married? And you know, the number one answer was either zero or one time. How in the world could our senior saints go through one session of premarital counseling and have marriages that last their lifetime. It's simple. They didn't go through one session of premarital counseling. They had 18 years of marriage modeled by their parents. And here's what's happened in our culture today. Parents, we're not modeling marriage, and we're expecting the church to try to pick up the pieces, and we're trying to present them principles in 10 weeks. And in our culture, we're thinking, 10 weeks of premarital counseling? You should be preparing your kids with 18 years of modeling marriage so they say, I don't just know the principles, I've seen it in practice. Now, life is a lot like mountain climbing. It's uphill. And it's like the father-son mountain climbing team where the son said to his father, Dad, pick a good path, I'm right behind you. What path are we picking for our kids today as parents? Contrary to what the culture wants to tell you, you are the most important person in your kid's life. You're the most important person on the entire planet. And here's why. According to God, you are the pivot. As a parent, you are the pivot between their vertical relationship with God and their horizontal relationship with every other human being. Have you ever thought about that privilege as a parent? I'm the pivot in my kid's life. But you see, it's not just that you and I are the pivot, we are the anchor. And I wanna pray and then I'm gonna ask the elders, there's a couple things they wanna share with you, but let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. And I pray today that as we live out being parents, that first, God, you would protect us from the fears and the failures. That you would help us to be faith-based parents. Help us to love our kids. And Father, we pray for our kids that that you would allow them through grace to be able to navigate to become the adults that we want them to be. If we pray these things in your name, amen.